This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined in Fokotani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Hey, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. Fabulous day here. Has it stopped raining there? Uh, it finally has, after many days of rain, and my tomato garden is looking spectacular, <laughs> so I'm not complaining. It's not all washed away. <laughs> It hasn't, and my zucchinis, we've, we just harvested our first lot of zucchinis from, from our summer garden yesterday, so all is well in the world. And who are we introducing today? Well, today it is my absolute great honour and privilege to introduce uh, Al Fraser, Alistair Fraser. Um, he is a composer, a researcher of Ngā Taonga Pūro, uh, and so his the work that he does with our sort of I guess I don't know indigenous musical instruments I don't know if indigenous is the right word because it's this this this, a style of music that's found throughout the world but in particular um here in New Zealand um he just does extraordinary things and we'll get to hear about that today and uh my introduction to his music was a piece by uh by Michael Norris which was Mātauranga Riringa uh, which was the um, what is described as New Zealand Symphony Orchestra's invitation to contribute to its series of commissions, marking 250th anniversary of the arrival of Captain Cook. So the Captain Cook part doesn't interest me, but the music certainly <laughs> did. So <laughs> welcome, 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 Al. You are extraordinary. Kia ora kōrua. Thanks, thanks, my widow. That's, that's lovely of you to say. And that's um, yeah, a real... Real privilege to be here too. Thanks for having me along. Thank you very much for joining us. We're getting a bit past our bubble lives, but how was your how was your bubble experience? Well, I um, well indeed, I was at home with the children. So I've got three children. Um, I got twins who are nine and are now a twelve year old, all girls, and so. We had a we had a pretty strict routine. Oh, not really, but we had a routine at least of a little bit of schoolwork in the morning, uh, and then we'd make lunch. And sometimes twelve um, year old would have some um, cooking classes that she so she had recipes that she had to try out. She was you know present us with either leek and potato soup or dumplings or some new fancy focaccia bread, and and then we'd usually head over to the park um, at around about two o'clock and play some soccer, uh, which quite often ended up in, you know, someone um, feeling like they were getting ripped off with the ball and 
little bit of tears and then we'd come home and 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 have a little bit of a maybe a bit of a play run on the xbox or something like that but my partner ruth was working all the time she was the conduit into the ministry of health she's a um she's a public health um professional and so um so it was just me at home with the kids um during the day while ruth worked her butt off and um indeed did some pretty good work with the contact tracing strategy so that was our bubble um yeah. just yeah staying at home going to the park um yeah sounds like it sounds like a pleasant time was it a, almost a, a shame to leave it or were you happy to get back out in the world i i think i'm i'm more introverted by nature um so um i i did actually enjoy it i enjoyed a lot of the um the usual sort of conversations that happen inside your head going away and external influences not influencing me anymore and just being sort of left up to my own devices so um but the flip side is i've really been enjoying playing music with people uh face to face again yeah did you manage to carry on working playing music during the lockdown yeah i did um i did a couple of i suppose what you call commercial just paid jobs um a couple of those turned up um i mixed a a friend's album ruby solly she she recorded an album and uh released it called poor necky and uh, sort of field recordings around wellington and compositions and and on, on site and she just recorded it on her cell phone and so i took the multi-track and and mixed that and it ended up sounding pretty good so that was really a real kind of um pleasure you know over lockdown and i also recorded um an album with my friend ricky gooch who's a percussionist from dunedin uh and we just fired tracks backwards and forwards to each other and added our own parts um so that was actually one of the sort of for me one of the highlights was me and ricky working together and and making our album that we've been talking about for a while we've been talking about it for over a year and then um so ricky just said oh you got anything i can work on so i flipped him some tracks and he did the same and it, it, it actually came together really quickly uh i think just because we, we had the time and the and the and the mental space um I also did uh, an NZSO gig um, with Bridget Douglas, who's also from Dunedin. Um, so Bridget Douglas and I have a duo um, of flute and taonga puoro, and uh, we commissioned a um, bunch of composers, New Zealand composers, to write us some music, and uh, we performed one of them, Rosie Langerbeer's Drawing Fire from the Well. Um, we, we performed that over like... Um, uh, Bridget recorded her part. I got I got that sent to me. I recorded my part, and, and then we sent that away to get to get put together. Um, so yeah, I did actually do a couple of things. It was funny. I actually found that 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 one thing quite stressful at the time because I hadn't been doing anything um, really, you know, in a in a in a kind of a demanding way. That when I did it, I, I realised that actually some of these things can actually be quite hard work and stressful, but you just don't notice it. Um, so it gave me a bit of perspective too, I think, the lockdown.
we're so busy being busy that we're used to being busy. So when we haven't been busy for a while, it comes as a shock. Totally. In terms of a small world, I um, I went to university with Bridget Douglas. Ah, yeah, okay. At Victoria. No, at, she did a, a biochem, I think, degree at Otago. Oh, right. Oh, I didn't know. Well, yeah. yeah. So let's play something off that Ricky Gooch collaboration. What should we play? I'd recommend Tutaki. Uh, so this is a tune. The album um, was dedicated to a friend, Eddie Tutaki, who, who passed away about over 20, 24 years ago. And I went to school with Eddie. And we started our high school band together. And Ricky played um, with Eddie uh, and, and bands in their late teens. Uh, and so this is dedicated to Eddie. Um, Ricky's using um, ceramic percussion um, on this track. What else are we going to hear? Um, I'm not sure which style of Puro I'm playing. I think I'm playing Pūtore no on this, on Tūtaki. Yeah. So Tūtaki is um, ceramic percussion and Pūtore no, Ngā Puro,
so how does a boy from Dunedin get into playing such instruments? Uh, so what was my my process, or yeah. how, how have I happened to come by it? Mm. I um, was I was studying jazz guitar at the Massey University Conservatorium of Music, and I was in my last year, and um, a friend had given me a kawaiwo, uh and I, I was very I was aware that there were or there was this 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 taonga called a kawaiwo. Um uh, and a friend at music school um, had Richard Nunns along to perform on my friend's final recital, and I hadn't seen the range of Taonga Puuru, um and so that blew my mind. Uh, <laughs> seeing Richard playing all of these, there was not just the Kawaiwo, there were all these Taonga. Um, so that sort of, I think, sparked sparked it. Um, and so when I finished. Um, at the end of that year, I finished my degree. Uh, I started to make make myself um, these taonga. Um, I did a little bit of research at the library and found a couple of books um, that had just pictures and descriptions and had a look at the instruments that are on display. Um, and so I just started making them and, and, and talking to the to the right people. Um, someone told me that there was this guy hidden in Melbourne up at Waikato University who was an expert on it. And I was trying to make a putatara at the time and I didn't know how to do it. Uh, so I, I phoned phoned up this guy hidden in Melbourne who was racing off to a lecture, lecture <laughs> but he managed to give me the time, time of day for five minutes to tell me how to do it. Um, and so, yeah, and then um, I managed to, well, when I was visiting my partner, Ruth, up in, up in Rotorua, her friend told us about this, this Taonga Pūra workshop that was happening. And so I thought, oh, I'd better go along to that. And uh, this, that was being run at Heitiki Gallery by Ngawara Gordon. And, and here she had Hirini Melbourne, Brian Flintoff and Richard Nunn. And... I, I didn't know they all knew each other. I hadn't. I didn't know that there there was a revival that had been happening for at least sort of over fifteen years by that stage, or twenty twenty years even. Uh, <clears throat> and so that that just gave me a whole lot of support. There was a community of these of people doing it um, that was very open and welcoming. Um, you know, really, the ethos was had any Richard and Brian was if you turn up, you're in. You know, you're you're, you're doing it. So, I'd support um, people who were who were passionate. Um, and then, so from there, um, by the by the end of 2000, or about two two thirds of the way through 2000, I had a a, a collection of taonga, like I had a putatara, puturino, puriri, who a porotiti, um, tumu tumu. Uh, Pakuru. So I could do, I, you, you can do a lot with, with very little with Taonga Pūru. And um, so by two thirds of the way through the year, I could perform with them. And I, I did. I played at a French festival, my friend's French, French festival show, which was guitar orchestra with um, storytelling by Rangi Moana Taylor. So it was actually probably a really fantastic gig to have as my first gig. Um, and because I'd been through the performance 
degree with guitar. I didn't have the performance anxiety um, that can come with performing if you don't have that experience. So I think that gave me a, a bit of a head start um, to, to performing. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Does that explain yeah. is it, is it <laughs> uh, a, the start of it? Yeah. Is it a different approach to, to music? Does, does the, 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 the classical structures and things hold or is, do you have to completely rethink what you're doing? It's um it's a music in itself. I try to avoid um comparisons of Taonga Puro music with with Western music, but although I do it all the time actually, <laughs> but to try and explain things to people. But this is um of Aotearoa and and these are Taonga Puro, um, rather than saying this is like a flute, you know, uh, or yeah. this is like a trumpet. But if if people need that then okay. Um, but the, the, um, so it's best to approach it, um, anew in a way. Um, so other structures, I mean, you can certainly apply Western music structures to Taonga Puru and Māori music to help Western music people understand it. But that's not really where it's coming from culturally. So yeah, they're very different. And when you were like playing in with the symphony orchestra, were you reading from a score? Yeah, yeah. So process for that was Michael transcribed um, some of the tongue that he was interested in and in having in the score and, and having it in his piece of music. So he asked me to bring in a pukai, um, you know, a variety because I, I got a few pukai. Um, Putorino, um, Porutu, Porutiti, and and then he he recorded them and um, could so what what he wrote in the score was um, his his transcription of of the Taonga or what the what the instruments were capable of and Michael composed phrases. Um, using the capability of the instrument. So yes, I was reading a score and I um, had a certain amount of flexibility with with the phrasing, although I did try and play the phrasing as he had written it and where he, he wrote it. But Michael also gave um, me a couple of improvisation um, liberties, uh, especially with the Porutu Tutu section. And uh, I think it really worked in that. I, uh, so um, just taking it back a step, Michael uh, did spectral analysis of the taonga in that he, saw, he, he put um, the taonga the recording through uh, a computer program which showed what uh, all the notes that made up the, um, the sound that was being produced by the, by the voice of the taonga. Oh, wow. And then he put those sounds into the orchestra. So you'll hear on that piece of music, the, it sounds like the orchestra is mimicking um, the taonga kūru or, or vice versa. And so when I had this improvisation section, I could preempt the orchestra um, playing my notes. So I could make it sound like the orchestra was following me or vice versa. So I thought that was particularly clever of them to give 
to give me that um, I, that freedom. I really loved the bit in it when you and the flute with Bridget, because there was a moment there when the two flutes were playing against each other. Yeah. The, the, it's really quite special, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and that is an approach um, that's, that's been used before. Uh, Phil Brownlee and Ariana Tikal have written a piece for um, orchestra called Kote Tatai Fetu, and they've um, performed it in the orchestra version with the Christchurch Symphony Orchestra. And uh, Phil um, got some of the notes that Ariana's Tahu Honamu plays, and he's distributed those notes throughout the orchestra. So it's, a, it gives, it's bringing the orchestra to the Taonga Pūru rather than the other way around. Rather than saying, what are the what are the you know what are the notes in the chromatic scale? Uh, what key is this instrument in? They've brought the Western instruments into this area, which is not necessarily um, sticking to Western music theory, and 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 uh, yeah, it brings it into the world of the Taonga rather than uh, slapping a whole lot of orchestration and hoping that the Taonga Pūru will sort of sound nice on top. Now you're coming back to Dunedin this weekend. Yeah, yeah. So I'm playing at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary on Saturday at 6pm. And that follows um, a walking tour with myself and Rua McCullum. We're going to walk around. We're going to take people on a walking, talking tour. Uh, Rua is an expert on um, plant usage. Um, into Waiponamu. Uh, she wrote an excellent resource on the topic, and that's how we met. Uh, so, so Rua will be talking about uses for these plants that are in the sanctuary, um, and I'll talk about musical instrument uses for the for plants that are at the end that I know about um, for for instrument instrument use. And there's also one on Sunday. There's a there's a walking tour on Sunday. I think it's at one. So. Saturday and Sunday, walking tours and concerts, Saturday night. Mm. That sounds fabulous. I'm just going to be playing, 
Yeah, yeah. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou kotahuaho. Hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are. A triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. So as we know, we've been through this really fascinating year together and I've loved these five minutes together each day. Thank you so much for having me. And for me, I've been so lucky. It's been a really wonderful, nurturing time for me, even though I've had many ups and downs along the way. But I know for others, it's been a very, very difficult time. And in catching up with some of my friends who are used to gallivanting about all over the world, playing their music and enthralling crowds of millions it's hard for them to not have the same freedom of course and the same ability to hop on a plane to a glamorous destination and in catching up with one of my friends yesterday I talked a lot with her about this and how we could possibly reframe this because of course as we know as a species our consciousness is just absolutely phenomenal and we can reframe things as much as we want until we feel better and so I spoke with her about my own experience of living here in Aotearoa Dunedin since I was 18, returning from living over in the UK where I'm now seven, and that real sense of deepening and deepening my connection with this very very special paradise place and. Even when I did get shouted to go over to the UK and had the wonderful opportunity of being at Windsor Castle with Dame Dr Jane Goodall and, you know, people, educators from all over the world, all these wonderful opportunities, I still really wanted to be here. And I think that's because it is my home and because I have found here that very strong connection with the real world, the living world, the natural world. And I have not always valued it in the way that I value my home now. But now that I do really, really consciously value living here, I have found that I'm able to really just go deeper and deeper in terms of that connection and find more and more ways that I love this place and more and more ways that I can give my love to this place. So I gently encouraged her to try to do the same, to accept this time that that we are here and that this is a gift, this is an opportunity, as much as it's hard and uncomfortable because it's not what was expected, and as much as it's hard and uncomfortable because it's different, it's a real opportunity to not only have external stimulation and exciting things happening on an external level in our lives, but also exciting things happening on an internal level. It's a real opportunity to go within and recalibrate and reconnect. So we had a wonderful time and we drove up to Kapuka Taumahaka, place just near the Kereru, in the Kapuka in the broadleaf, Grisolinia littoralis, and this is the highest point in the landscape around here. And we stood on top of the sundial and we stared out across the beautiful, beautiful paradise city, the biodiverse city. And it was really exciting. So I really hope for you that wherever you are, you are able to experience this time although it is different, although it is hard, although it is challenging, as a time for consolidation and deepening your connection both within and without to the paradise that surrounds you. And I know for me that it has been so helpful 
having the kittens, having the hens, having the opportunity to nurture in my daily life and also give that nurturing and that support to myself and to the other human life forms around me. So I really hope that you're getting those helpful opportunities as well. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Alistair Fraser. So do you fly around with a, a big collection of instruments? Yeah, I'll have my have my case um, of of Taonga, and uh, I'm also bringing my looper and bunch of effects. So I'll be playing solo looping set. Uh, so I have kind of some some points. There are there are some um, different ideas. I suppose you could call them compositions uh, that I play. But I also do a lot of improvising and just following my nose um, with these taonga. And so I build up um, build up sort of layers and bring things down also to just hearing the individual instruments. So it takes it somewhere a little bit different than if I'm just playing, um, say, a set piece of music or if I'm just doing an improv with uh, someone else playing. Yeah, yeah it's always really fun. To, to do these solo solo sessions. One of the instruments, I'm not sure of its name, it's different to all of the others, which are, are, seem to be variations on a, a, a trumpet. There's the, the, ship, the long trumpet and the short trumpet. I've forgotten their actual names. What's the one that has a spinning disc? So there's... Um, there's the portal titi, which is a spinning disc, and that it's uh, held. The string is held in both hands, and the the portal titi spins in front of the person who's playing it, and it spins one way, and then it, and then as it winds up, it, it and, and gets to attention, it spins back the other way, uh, and then there's also the puriruhua, which uh, the garara um, is a is a southern name for that and that's um that's sort of uh more like a what say maybe you'd describe it as a slat or a like a say a surfboard shaped um object with one hole at an end with a string through it and that's swung over the head so that would be people call that a bull or a, a generically yeah um, and the long trumpet you're talking about that's a pukaya and the short shell trumpet is the Pūtātara. And um, the Pūkaya has an interesting southern um, <clears throat> variation in that uh, they were made from harakeke as well um, in, in Te Waipounamu and, and um, in the North Island. Um, uh, but we know this because uh, one is a, a fragment of one was found in a cave uh, in Christchurch. And so um, it looks like the uh, it was the rito, the, the the middle leaf of the harakeke mm -hmm. that was used um, because it's easy to wind up. But this is uh, sort of contrary to most tikanga, where you take the matua, the outside leaves, because the inside is going to be the matua one day. So you want to keep that. But with this tikanga, you can you can make your um, tetere or um, pu harakeke. Uh, with the with the rito, and it looks like maybe that was transported around and then added to 
when it needed to be used, or it was coiled down flat uh, in this cave where it was found. But of course, they've also been found long wooden pukaia um, into Waiponamu, so that was also used. But it just looks like it was a really lightweight, transportable, um, and loud, um, functional um, paonga, yeah. And with uh, the ones I've seen you playing have got a, a, a I'm not sure how to describe it, a, a, a beak or a head on the end? Is, is the significance so of the, it, the shape of that? It sounds like that might be the, is that the, um, is that the pukaia, the long wooden trumpet? With yes. The, with the head? So um, that was an early one I made. And I just really like playing it. It's a really good <laughs> player. The the shape is kind of really based on a shorter pukaya. So um, short pukaya tend to have that sort of stylistic design, whereas longer pukaya tend to have niho at the end, um, like teeth, like a jagged, sort of like a zigzag jagged end to them. And my understanding of that design is that these are the teeth of Hine Nuitipo. And um, by playing this at your enemies, you're inviting your enemies to, you know, enter death um, through Hine Nuitipo. So, um, yeah, that's, um, that's the Pukaya. We talked about how you got into this. How are people getting into it now? You know, kids go to Saturday morning music classes. Is, it, is this an option? Yeah. I, I haven't heard of it being offered in Saturday morning music classes, but we really should be. Uh, what I've seen is um, passionate individuals running workshops uh, where they're open to the public. Um, and those are generally for adults because you're dealing with chisels and and you know sharp objects and that sort of thing. Um, there, yeah, it's look. This is actually a real, probably a whole conversation in itself. How how do we keep the revival going? The people who are involved in the revival now and are doing it are really aged forty years and over. Um, the majority, sorry, the majority of us are over, mostly middle aged or older. And uh, the, there are people up and, up and coming, young, young people up and coming, um, but not really a lot of numbers. Um, and so we <clears throat> need to provide performance opportunities. We need to provide um, the, the, the knowledge. There needs to be what I really would like to see as a series, as maybe like a permanent uh, kura um, that's probably not based um, at a Western Pakeha University, like its own institution. And then, this is just my dream, and then having um, an outreach program where we have a permanent um, body of people um, running Wananga through the country, and maybe they come through your centre or somewhere close, maybe twice a year, um, so that there's some consistency with uh, how these things Run. I mean, oh, there, there have been some programs at universities. There was one run by Dr. Jen Catamol, um, and then there's also one at Victoria, and there was one at Waikato. And I'm I'm unsure if any of those are actually still running. Um, so in this way, 
you know, universities are very easily easy to dismiss things if they don't have enough bums on seats. Uh, and so it, it just hasn't really been working that well with um, with Western Pakeha institutions. Uh, so how are people learning? Um, now we've got information so readily available, right? It is possible to be sort of fairly isolated from the community, and you could actually do this by, you know, we've got a, there's a Facebook group, we've got about I don't know 500 people on that, um, and people are happy to answer questions there. Um, and of course, you know, there are some really good books now, Matua Brian Flintoff's book, and and Matua uh, Richard Nunn's book, and 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 Matua Hirini Melbourne's book, Koyapi Api are still they're really good resources. Um, I, you know, so uh, it's, it is kind of a little bit problematic how we have to sort of do this off the off 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 the smell of an oily rag. So we, do, you know, Creative New Zealand have been great too through the years with helping. Um, a couple of years ago, Horo Mona Horo ran a bunch of wananga throughout the country. Um, we had one out at Otako, and it was just fantastic. Um, but you know, it it all was run off his sort of blood, sweat, and tears, and you can't do that every year. You know, it's it's took us hours and hours and hours to organise. So we sort of need some sort of consistency. There is a unit standard at school now, and so um, more music teachers are getting are getting um, practitioners into the classroom. And um, so I've been doing a bit of work up at Fielding Agricultural High School. I go up there two or three times a year and give presentations to the kids there. And the music teacher up there has been really great with just um, <coughs> getting the bamboo kawawo happening so the kids have something in their hands. <laughs> uh, and, and schools do get practitioners in to, to give these talks uh, when, they, when they can, yeah. It's not just the instruments, of course. Has the tradition survived? In terms, we hear a lot about Maori being a an oral tradition. Has the musical tradition survived? There was a lot of oral tradition that did survive, um, and at the time when when Hirini, Richard, and Brian were researching, they managed to to come across a lot of oral tradition. Um, and they met people like Mori Terikatini, who had been taught traditional putorino, um ways to perform or play putorino traditionally in the Wanganui style. So that was that was really lucky that Hirini, Richard, and Brian did that work when they did it um, to to grab that that oral tradition. We we have some oral tradition recorded in the literature, so you know. Um, Johannes Anderson, Nelson Best, those those Pakeha um, ethnographers, and uh, James Harris Beatty, um, traditional lifeways of the Southern Māori, had some just some some gold in there um, that that tells us you know where we can go. Um, musical traditions were recorded, you know, more tier tier were recorded um, by old uh, Mervyn McLean. Uh, yeah, Mervyn McLean back in the day. Uh, so we have those those old Mortier tier as well um, that can help us. And then we've got stories of Te Whare Tāpere, the traditional house of entertainment. 
um, and especially the story of Tenido and Kai. And um, I won't go into the whole story, but um, there is a, a group of female roving entertainers in the story, and they play Pakuru in a line. And I think they play, they play anyway, a bunch of Taonga Puru are mentioned in a performance context, and uh, group playing is mentioned. So, it, because of you know, it's a revival art um, with strong links and, and, and traditions. We need to um, and we do experiment with these with these ideas, and you know, it's a it's it's such a a broad musical, it's such a broad art form um, that that we can, you know, push out into different areas and see what happens and, and with the, you know, the respect for the Taonga and the tradition, um, it's usually a good result. Let's play the second of your suggestions. Let's have off your Toitu album, Gestation. What's this one? So this is... Um, so Toy Tu Te Puuru, there's a solo album I did a release about, about maybe a couple of years ago, and um, it's uh, sort of a it's a the al- the album is a, a meditation on Ma- Ma- uh, Māori Marsden Reverend Māori Marsden's Fakaro on on the birth of the universe. So Te Kore Kore, it starts with Te Kore Kore, which is um, a place of nothing, but there is something, and that was really what sort of tickled my 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 real uh my intrigue with with this because how can you have nothing and there's something is it not nothing i don't know uh and so i follow um te kore kore te po and um you know the the night and into into te ao marama and um and so gestation is uh sort of a a comment and once i'm in te ao marama you know they have a lot of um we have a lot of things around us in the world, and so gestation is a, I suppose, a, a, a comment on on things uh, about to form. And I've used putorino um, on gestation. <laughs>
I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we'll have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? I think just having um, a sustainable career in music in itself is a success. That's probably, for me, um, one of the things that I'm really, really happy about. You should be. And being able to play music with my friends, you know, playing music with your friends is fantastic. Yeah. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? My superpower that's got me into the mansion? Yep. I think being able to listen, just the ability to listen. And do you consider yourself to be an activist? No, I don't consider myself to be an activist. Uh, I don't know, perhaps. <laughs> I am. I, yeah. So no, answer, short answer is, am I an activist? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what motivates so. you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? No, no, look, I, I don't know. Um, what gets me out of bed? I'm drawing a blank. Can we come back to that? You could just say nine-year-old twins. Yeah, well, that's the reality of it. Can I can I have my hair done? <laughs> yeah. So so yeah yeah and yeah yeah. We'll say nine-year-old twins. And what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, I'm going to release an album with a quartet called Tararoa, and uh, we've recorded it. Um, and it's about to be mixed, and then performing it is is going to be really fun. Um, whether or not uh, it's a huge challenge that remains to be seen. But you know, when you've composed music um, together, uh, and then you you present it to an audience, then it's it's always pretty uh, it's always pretty tense, and, and and you want it to be good. So that's something that's something coming up um, next year that. That could be a challenge, yeah. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Be kind. Sounds good to me. Moira. Um, the, the greatest uh, challenge that we face is holding on to old knowledge. Um, and here you are doing not just that, but also making a beautiful contribution to new knowledge based on that. Thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us and reminding people that Alistair is performing at Orokanui on Saturday at six o'clock. And I think if you go to the Orokanui website, there will be links for for that. And on Facebook too. Yes, and during the day you're going on walks talking about indigenous plants and performing i think yeah with Rowan mccullum yep yep i'll be playing some um some instruments along the uh, along the walk yeah and um, with Rowan mccullum we'll be talking about the plants and what, what can be done with them that sounds fabulous looking forward to it yeah. thank you very much for joining us thank you for having me along You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. 
brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani and in Wellington, Alistair Fraser. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.